Well, hey, I want to welcome you. We are in week two, which is also the final week of our Legacy Series. It was like a really short, just kind of a two-week look at what it means to live a legacy and what it means to leave a legacy. And I think all of us can identify with the fact that we want our lives to matter. We want our lives to mean something and to last. That we want when we're gone for there still to be an impact from the way we lived. We want to make a difference in people's lives and, and in the world around us. And I think we could probably all look at the legacies that other people have left for us. Now, if we were also honest, maybe not all of those legacies are good or positive, but hopefully there are some people who, if they're no longer here, have left a, a lasting positive impact on your life. You know, I um, have had um, several of my grandparents have passed away, and uh, they all in different ways have left a legacy with me and, and it had a lasting impact on my life. Um, probably the largest one um, was my mom's dad and uh, who really left with me a legacy and a love for hunting. Uh, and so believe it or not, his name was Elmer and um, which is like the coolest old name in the world, I think. But uh, so his name was Elmer and my dad didn't hunt growing up. He ended up loving to hunt because us kids kind of loved it, and so he wanted to take us. Um, but naturally, my dad didn't hunt a lot that I remember growing up, um, but my mom's dad, my grandfather, did. I mean, all to the point, like, um, he raised and, and raised and bred his own dogs and trained his own dogs and uh, trained and sold his dogs to other people. And so I'll never forget being... Uh, a little kid and going to stay the night at his house and he would we used to go coon hunting um if that doesn't sound hillbilly like i'm from oklahoma um so we would go coon hunting in the middle of the night he would come and wake me up uh at like 11 12 o'clock at night and we would load up and he would load up his four-wheelers and the dogs and we would go out and let the dogs run loose and then we would just fly on four-wheelers in the middle of the night trying to find where the dogs were, where they had treed a raccoon. And so I just, just really fond memories uh, growing up as a kid, partially just because I loved getting up in the middle of the night and riding four-wheelers really fast in the dark. But um, learned to love to hunt. Um, uh, he was the one who taught me how to turkey hunt, which is my favorite hunting of all. And uh, I, I used to play on my mom's emotions uh, when I was in high school because he was getting older and sicker and, and was having a hard time hunting and just getting out and doing stuff in general. And so my mom had like a no skip school policy. Like unless you're in the hospital, you're going. Like we didn't get like free days or anything. But I used to play on her emotions, you know, like, hey, he's not going to be here much longer. And, um, you know, he, he's invited me to come down and go hunting. And so my mom would let me skip school and drive down to where my grandpa lived and go go turkey hunting with him. And so uh, obviously he left other impacts on me as well as uh, my other grandparents. But probably that's the one that, that I deal with more often because I love hunting now. And it, it permeates um, what I do throughout the year. And, and I'm already looking forward to the spring and planning out my turkey hunts now uh, for later this year. And so, so Elmer, we called him Paul, but his name was Elmer, uh, had a huge impact on me just by sharing his life with me, just by allowing me to, to be side by side with him and doing what he already loved to do. 
and he left a huge impact on me. Uh, last week, we read from Psalm 103, and that was kind of our theme verse for this series, um, at looking at, at what it means to have a legacy. And Psalm 103, starting in verse 15, says this, As for man, his days are like grass. He flourishes like a flower of the field. For the wind passes over it, and it is gone, and its place knows it no more. This is a, a word picture analogy that the Scriptures love to use about our lives that we're like grass or we're like flowers of the field. Um, the scriptures also like to talk about our lives are like a shadow or like a breath or like a mist. Here one moment, gone the next. But, verse 17 says, the steadfast love of the Lord is from everlasting to everlasting on those who fear him and his righteousness to children's children, to those who keep his covenant and remember to do his commandments. The Lord has established his throne in the heavens. And his kingdom rules over all. You and I, our lives are like that grass. It's like the flower. It's lovely to look at. Maybe the flowers are beautiful. But they're here one moment and gone the next. Maybe they last all spring and all summer. Maybe they just last a few days. You know, if you are a gardener, then you understand the damage that spring hailstorms in Colorado can do, right? Like, Rusty, you, you farmed. You understand how devastating it can be. Uh, you're, you're planting something. Something begins to sprout, and you understand its purpose is to last a long time, maybe all spring and all summer. But one hailstorm can come, especially in Colorado. They're terrible, and destroy everything. Uh, my next-door neighbor brews his own beer and several years ago started growing his own hops. And uh, so he began by planting some hops in some pots in a greenhouse, kind of in his kitchen, in, indoors, and let them grow for something like two years. I, I don't remember the exact, how it all works, but he had spent, I know, more than a year trying to nurture these little hop plants. And then come spring, he takes them outside and plants them in a special garden he built and set aside just for his hops. And and literally a week later, we've got one of those Colorado hailstorms and destroyed all of the hops that he had been working on for three years. And our lives are like that. Some of us will make it through spring and summer, but some of our lives may be cut short. But regardless of whether it's 20 or 80 years in the grand scheme of things, on the timeline of eternity, we're nothing but a, just a, a quick vapor. Here one moment and gone the next. But it's the Lord. It's the steadfast love of the Lord that's from everlasting to everlasting. It's when we begin to build our lives on something that's eternal that we can have a real long lasting legacy and one that actually matters, one that means something and one that we would be honored to leave behind when we're gone. You know, Jesus uh, has had the greatest legacy of all. And we talked about that a little bit last week, um, that no one has left a greater legacy uh, in human history than Jesus. And last, last week we talked about what was it that Jesus prioritized in his life? If we're going to live a legacy, then how should we live? And we looked at Jesus's life and what he said about his own life as to how he lived, um, that, that he made glorifying God through obedience a priority, um, that that showing God's character was a priority, that sharing God's truth was a priority for him, that investing in God's people 
And then finally, empowering the next generation. Those were the five things that we looked at last week from the life of Jesus. And so this week, we're going to talk about leaving a legacy. And, and it kind of begs the question, what did Jesus leave behind? I want you to think about it for just a minute. What is it that Jesus left when he, when he left this earth? It may even be easier to think of the things that he didn't leave. What didn't Jesus leave that maybe most of us are accustomed to thinking about when we think about leaving an inheritance for our kids or whether we'll get an inheritance from a family member? I mean, uh, think about the things that Jesus didn't leave behind. He didn't leave behind a wife or a child. No house, no clothes, no money. No 401k, no IRA, no business. No writings, at least directly authored by him while he was on earth. No hymns, no portrait, no buildings. Even after he's gone, there was no cross remnant left behind and no confirmed gravesite. Think about all the things that Jesus didn't leave behind. Yet his legacy far surpasses anyone else who's ever lived. So what did he leave behind? And that's what we're going to look at and we're going to look at it quickly, and then we're going to kind of reflect on what that means for you and I. So what did Jesus leave behind? Here's number one. Jesus left behind his word. In Matthew chapter 24, Jesus is talking to his disciples, and he's talking about what's going to come in the future. The disciples are worried about when is Jesus going to reestablish his kingdom? When are all things going to be made right? And Jesus actually doesn't have the greatest encouragement. He, he begins to explain to them all the terrible things that are going to happen first. And as he's talking about all the things that are coming, both the negative and the good for the future, one day when Jesus returns to make everything right again, there's a lot of bad stuff that's going to happen between now and then. But they're all going to happen. One day they'll all pass. And then he says this, verse 35 of Matthew chapter 24, though heaven and earth will pass away, but my words will not pass away. One of the things that Jesus has left for you and I, part of his legacy has been his words. Jesus made it clear that we read out of John 17 last week, and one of the priorities of his life was sharing God's truth. He actually said in a prayer to God, God, I gave them the words that you gave to me. Jesus left us with his word, with his truth, as it's preserved in the Bible for us today to read about um, his life and his ministry and his teachings and his miracles and what he continued to do. And as he continued to work and continued to speak, and it's one thing that's never changed and never left and one that will never leave so number one is his word number two his church so in matthew 16 um, jesus is sitting around the campfire with the disciples and they're having a conversation and jesus starts posing a question to the disciples who do who do people say that i am disciples go around the circle Different men give different answers about what they hear, what people are saying. And then Jesus says this in verse 15 of 
Matthew chapter 16, he said, but he said to them, who do you say that I am? So the first question that Jesus asked was, who do people say that I am? What are you hearing on the streets? What are people talking about? So the disciples begin to answer. And then he switches the question, but who do you say that I am? Verse 16, Simon Peter replied, you are the Christ, the son of the living God. And Jesus answered him, blessed are you, Sina Barjona. Uh, Simon Barjona, so that is Simon, son of Jonah, is what that means. For flesh and blood has not revealed this to you, but my Father who is in heaven. And I tell you, you are Peter, and on this rock I will build my church, and the gates of hell shall not prevail against it. Off this confession of truth that you've just said, Peter, one that didn't come from your mind or someone else, but one that came from God Himself on this truth, This gospel, the good news that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of the living God. Usually we kind of associate Christ as though it's Jesus' last name, right? Jesus Christ. But it's not. Christ is a title. It means anointed one. It, it, It references all the promises that were wrapped up in the New Testament And everybody was holding out hope and expectation on when is God going to fulfill his promise? When is God going to come through and answer all these promises that he's made? When will things be made right? When will the throne of David be established forever? When will we be blessed and rise above the other nations? And though they didn't understand what they were looking for, Jesus was the fulfillment of all of those promises. Christ means anointed one, Messiah. So it's not just a last name. It's not a last name at all. It's a title. So when Peter said, you are the Christ, he's not just talking, he's not talking about his name. He's talking about the role that Jesus plays in the bigger picture, in the history of salvation, that God has finally put a name and a face to his rescue plan for us and peter said you're it the son of the living god jesus says it's on this truth that i'm going to establish my church i will build my church and the gates of hell shall not prevail against it it's on this truth that jesus builds his church and throughout the last two thousand years it's been a roller coaster of history for the world and for the church and god has continued to preserve it and continued to build it so what did jesus leave behind number one was his word number two was his church and then number three a promise so acts chapter one is uh is kind of the conclusion and a transition uh it's a conclusion of the gospel of luke So the author of Acts is the same guy who writes Luke. So Luke, um, this is, writes a two-part series. Part one is the gospel. Part two is Acts. And usually we call it Acts or Acts of the Apostles. And maybe more appropriately, we call it the Acts of the Holy Spirit. But um, part one is the life ministry of Jesus. And part two is after he's gone it's the life and the ministry of the church it's a history of of the early church and so acts chapter one kind of serves as a both a conclusion to book one 
and an introduction to book two. And it covers these last moments of Jesus before he ascends back into heaven. So Acts chapter one, starting in verse six. So when they had come together, this is referring to the followers of Christ. They asked him, talking about Jesus, Lord, will you at this time restore the kingdom of Israel? So remember, in Matthew chapter 24, Jesus had warned them of all of the things that were going to come before his return, before he established his true kingdom on this earth. And so uh, it had been a rough few months for them. Jesus tells them of all the terrible things that are going to happen. And then between that moment and this moment in Acts 1, um, Jesus is arrested, beaten, crucified. The disciples are scattered. Everybody has lost hope. And Jesus, upon his resurrection, renews hope and reunites all of his followers. And so they're wondering, okay, all the terrible things, is that surrounding the death of Christ? Did he have to go through that so now he can establish his kingdom here? But Jesus said to them, It is not for you to know the times or the seasons that the Father has fixed by his own authority. And so Jesus um, kindly says no and tries to divert their attention because it's not for them to know. It's not for them to know when it's going to happen, the timing of it all, or even necessarily how it's going to happen, but rather to trust that God the Father has it under control. And then he, and then he says this, because that could be discouraging. If you've devoted your whole life to seeing the kingdom of God being established and your leader has just been killed, now he's been raised again, okay, now it's going to happen. And he goes, no, it's not going to happen now either. You're going, what? Like how many more roller coasters do we have to go through? And then he says this, but you will receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you. And you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and in all Judea and Samaria and to the ends of the earth. When he had said these things, as they were looking on, he was lifted up and a cloud took him out of their sight. While they were gazing into heaven, as he went, behold, two men stood by by them in white robes and said, Men of Galilee, why do you stand looking into heaven? This Jesus, who was taken up from you into heaven, will come in the same way as you saw him go into heaven. Now, verse 8 is uh, one of those verses that, depending on your history of church, how long you've been in church, what kind of churches you've been in, you know, if, you were, if you've been a member at a church that had their own building, you know, unlike us, um, you may have seen Acts 1-8, like, printed on the wall or painted on the wall. Um, usually somebody with really good handwriting came and, you know, did swirly letters and stuff. I've been in those churches. I've worked in those churches. All right. Um, and, and so, uh, it's a powerful verse. And a lot of times what we do is we spend our time focusing on the end of it where he says, and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and in Judea and Samaria and to the ends of the earth. And I'm not going to talk much about that because that's not our emphasis today. Uh, there's some cool realities of what he's talking about. Jerusalem is certainly a city a city where they're located and what they've been based out of, more or less, for the last couple years. Um, Judea is a region, uh, so now we're going from little to big. Samaria is another region, but it, it represents less of a region and more of a people group, a people group who the Jews hated and hated with a lot of passion. And there was a lot of um, racial and ethnic tension between the Samarians, uh, Samaritans and the Jews to the point where... Um, Jews would often pray in the temple 
that God would not save the Samaritans. And, uh, and, and that's how deep-rooted the issues go. And so Jesus isn't so much talking about a geographic region as, as much as an idea of the kind of people that you're going to serve and to love and to reach out to. Um, it, I don't know your background and where you may struggle, but I mean, you, you could start talking about, um, but you'll receive power when the Holy Spirit comes upon you and you'll be my witnesses in Denver and the United States and to ISIS. I mean, this is the kind of animosity that was between the two and to the ends of the earth, and Jesus takes it further. And so um, a lot of times we use that verse to talk about a mission strategy, which is good. We're not going to do that today. But rather look at the promise. But you will receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you, and you'll be my witnesses. This is the last thing he says to them before he leaves. You want to talk about the emphasis of a legacy. As a pastor, I face death maybe more than the average person being called into hospital rooms, being called into uh, homes where hospice has, has shown up, being, being there in those last moments, or even if it's not the actual last moment, being called in to counsel and pray with people who are at least in their final days or weeks. Not often do you get to choose your last words. But when you do, you understand how important they are, how powerful they are. And these are his final words. It's not for you to know all of God's plans. It's not for you to try to calculate and guess and figure out when God's going to take care of everything and finish his plan. That's not for you to know or to worry about. But let me tell you something. When the Holy Spirit comes, you're going to receive power to be my witnesses. That's what you need to worry about. That's what you need to focus on. Those are his final words. And then he rises up and disappears in the clouds. This is what Jesus has left behind. His word, the, the truth of his message, God's truth. We have recorded a lot of Jesus' literal words that he spoke one-on-one to people or to a large crowd. But, but in general, it, all of this is God's word. The Bible says for, for all of Scripture is breathed out by God. Yeah, it's cool to look at the red letters. But I'll tell you this. The black letters aren't any less significant than the red ones. If you've got a Bible that differentiates between what Jesus says versus just the commentary, it's all of God's Word. And Jesus has left it for us as part of his legacy. And he promises his disciples, no matter what happens, no matter what fades away, even as heaven and earth pass away, my words won't. He left us with his church. 
not a building, not a set of programs, and not a mission statement on the wall. He left a group of men and women committed to follow Jesus and to carry on his mission. That's what it means to be the church. That's what it means to be a part of a church, is to follow Christ and to be a part of his mission and ministry. It wouldn't be a few centuries before church buildings come along. It's a few generations before a structure and hierarchy come within the church. In these days, when Jesus left, he left a group of men and women passionate about carrying on his mission and vision. That's what the church is. And for 2,000 years, it's never stopped. I read a report this week that said it estimated that by 2020, China would be the largest evangelical Christian center of the world. It's the fastest growing church in the world. Just barely outpacing parts of India and Africa. For a long, 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 long time, Europe was the central, kind of the central hub of Christianity. The last 200 years it's been centered in America, but that's not true anymore. Soon China will be sending out more missionaries around the world than even the United States. God's church has never stopped growing. It is, and it, it is only picking up speed. Despite 2,000 years of a roller coaster ride, despite large portions of the world that were at times hostile to the truth. In China, it's still illegal to, have, to, to meet in your home for church. The Chinese government allows very few official church buildings, and the government has control over those churches. But despite the attempts at stopping God's church, it doesn't, doesn't even make a dent. He left us His Word, His church, and He left us a promise. A promise that we don't need to worry about what's coming down the road, but to be confident that God's in control and that He's going to give us what we need. He's going to give us the power that we need that when we get the Holy Spirit, and the Bible teaches us that the Holy Spirit is, is like a deposit or a guarantee that, that you're part of God's family. So when you place your faith and your trust in Jesus, as we read earlier, as the Christ, the Messiah, the Anointed One, the Son of the Living God, when, when you believe that He came to fulfill all the promises that Scripture made, when you trust in Him and confess Him, to be not just Lord in general, but the Lord of your life. That the Holy Spirit becomes a gift to you. A part of Christ's legacy. A promise to you and I that we're a part of His family. The Bible has a lot to say about what the Holy Spirit does in our lives. We're not going to go through them all, but 
but some of them in, the, in the, those moments of crisis when you, you ever feel like you don't know what to pray, like words aren't good enough or strong enough, the Bible promises that the Holy Spirit is there to pray on our behalf. When we don't know what to say, the Holy Spirit does and will intercede for us. That the Holy Spirit is there to remind us of the teachings of Christ. That the Holy Spirit is there to convict us of sin. And ultimately, the Holy Spirit is there to empower us to carry on the legacy of Christ. To be His witnesses. To share His word. To build His church. I hope you leave a lot of great things as a legacy. I believe it's Proverbs 13 that that says... Uh, a wise man leaves an inheritance to his children's children. I hope you're blessed and are able to leave great things for your kids. I hope you teach your kids and your grandkids how to fish or hunt or do whatever it is that you like, but there's only one legacy that you can leave that will be lasting and that will matter. And that's to give your life to what Jesus has promised will never end. To give your lives to the things that Jesus has left behind. That no matter whether heaven or earth pass away, or the gates of hell come storming, they will never end. I want you to, to pass on fun things and good things to your kids and your friends and your family and your grandkids, but Ultimately, it's the legacy of Christ that we want to build our legacy on. A legacy that will never end. Will you pray with me? Jesus, I thank you for the opportunity to meet in this place on this day. And I thank you for those that are here today. That you've kept us safe. Watched over us as we drive. Uh, in the weather and and lord i pray for those who aren't here today that you would keep them uh, safe and warm as well that even now that you would in your presence just surround them and speak to them but god for those of us in this space right now i pray that you would uh, help us to really be honest with ourselves and with who we are and the lives that we lead Jesus, we want our lives to matter. All of us want our lives to matter. Would you help each of us to make the decisions that we need to make today? I want you to keep your eyes closed for a moment, if you will. And uh, Every week, this is an opportunity for you to connect with God. Eliminating as many distractions as possible. We follow virtually the same format every week. It's just some time of reflection and prayer. Followed by some singing. An opportunity for you to respond to what God is doing in your heart and your life. In a moment, there'll be an opportunity for you to come to the table partake in communion to remember and celebrate 
the sacrifice that Christ has made. That he proved that he was the anointed one through his death. He proved that he was the son of the living God by rising from the dead. And we can celebrate that in communion. And I'd encourage you, if you want to make that a part of your uh, opportunity this morning, you go to the table and you take a moment to think, maybe pray, dip the bread in the cup. As Jesus said before he went to the cross, the, the broken bread represents his broken body. And the wine or the juice represents his spilled blood. And Jesus told his disciples right before he went to the cross, do this in remembrance of me. As followers of Christ, he he wants us to do this as a time of reflection and worship. To think about what it costs for us to be forgiven. So if you want to take a moment communion is there if you want to stand and to sing and to celebrate sing about how good and great our God is if you want to stay seated and pray or meditate that opportunity is here for you as well maybe for just next moment I'd encourage you to challenge yourself how can you build your life on his word If it really will never pass away, then how is it that you can depend on it more? How can you give yourself more of yourself to His church? And I'm not just talking attendance or serving, but to the mission and the mission of Christ. The mission and the ministry of Christ. How can you be more sensitive to the Holy Spirit as you're being a witness for Christ? Lord, thank you for who you are. In these moments as we pray and think and sing, as we take communion and reflect, as we give, would you be honored by it all as a testimony to our gratefulness for all that you've done. Jesus, thank you for your legacy. Would you help us to build our lives on what you've done and what you've left? Thank you again. We love you. Pray this in your name. Amen.